rock around. That's right. On top of it's tricky. It's so tight. Here we go. Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is October 9th, 2020, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is Treating Acute Low Back Pain. It's tricky, tricky, tricky. And our guest skeptic is Dr. Sergei Motov. He is an emergency physician in the Department of Emergency Medicine, Maimonides Medical Center in New York City. He is also one of the world's leading researchers on pain management in the emergency department, and specifically the use of ketamine. His Twitter handle is at PainFreeED. Welcome back to the SGM, Sergey. Ken, thank you so much for having me back. I cannot tell you how excited and happy I am to be here today with you on the show. I think the honor is mine because it's so great to have an emergency department physician who is a pain researcher and an expert in this area on the SGEM. Ken, thank you so much for your kind words, but I am just the humble servant to the brilliance of the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Oh, this is coming a mutual admiration society, but there wouldn't be a Skeptic's Guide if there weren't people out there like you producing high-quality, clinically relevant research for us to review. Thank you. All right, let's get on with a case today. What have you brought? So our case starts with a 41-year-old gentleman without significant past medical history who presents to the emergency department with a chief complaint of lower back pain that started 48 hours prior to the ED arrival. Patient states that he was attempting to move a couch in his house where he started to have pain. He describes pain as sharp, constant, non-radiating, and 6 out of 10 in intensity. Pain gets worse with movement and minimal bending. The pain is limiting his usual activities, that includes his ability to go to work. He denies weakness or numbness in his legs, as well as any bowel or bladder dysfunctions. You perform physical exam and note a prominent tenderness to palpation at the right lumbar region. You explain to the patient that most likely diagnosis is a muscle strain. Your usual approach to treat this type of case scenario is ibuprofen. However, patient asks you, if ibuprofen alone will be strong enough to control his pain. Well, Sergey, you know that pain is one of the most frequent reasons to attend an emergency department. And low back pain is responsible for just over 2% of all ED visits, resulting in 2.6 million visits a year in the USA. Now, we've covered back pain a number of times on the SGEM. But the last time was with you, Sergey, looking at opioids in treating chronic non-cancer pain. Can you remind the S-Jammers, what was the bottom line from that episode? Absolutely. There appears to be no long-term analgesic benefits from prescribing opioids for chronic non-cancer pain, whether it's non-susceptive, neuropathic, or both. However, opioid use is associated with increased adverse events. The American College of Emergency Physicians has updated their clinical policy on prescribing opioids for adult ED patients. And no surprise, there are no level A recommendations. There's one level B recommendation and multiple level C recommendations. Well, I'll put a link into the show notes of ASAP's new policy. Now, many other pharmaceutical treatments besides opioids 
have been tried to address acute low back pain with limited success. These include things like acetaminophen, muscle relaxants, NSAIDs, steroids, and benzodiazepines. Pain outcomes for patients with low back pain are generally poor. One week after an ED visit in an unselected low back pain population, 70% of patients reported persistent back pain-related functional impairment, and 69% of patients reported continued analgesic use. There are a number of non-pharmacological treatment modalities that have been tried to treat low back pain. These include things like cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness, chiropractic care, physiotherapy, and acupuncture. None of these treatments has high-quality evidence supporting their use. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, known as NSAIDs, are recommended a first-line medication therapy for patients with acute low back pain. Acetaminophen, in turn, is often used for acute low back pain. However, it is unlikely to be effective when it's used as monotherapy. Whether or not combining an NSAID with acetaminophen can improve patient's outcome is unknown. All right, that's some background material. How about the clinical question? Is the addition of acetaminophen to ibuprofen better than ibuprofen alone in treating ED patients with acute, non-traumatic, non-radicular low back pain? And the reference? Dr. Friedman and colleagues, ibuprofen plus acetaminophen versus ibuprofen alone for acute low back pain, an emergency department-based randomized study published in Academic Emergency Medicine 2020. Dr. Freeman does publish a lot of research in this area. Let's run through the PICO. What was the population? Adults aged 21 to 69 years who presented to the ED primarily for management of acute, non-traumatic, non-radicular musculoskeletal low back pain with Roland Morris Disability Questionnaire, abbreviation RMDQ, score of greater than 5. And I'll just remind people that the RMDQ is a 24-item questionnaire commonly used to measure low back pain and related functional impairment. The scale goes from a low of 0 up to 24. 0 means no impairment, whereas 24 is maximum impairment. I also should mention that there are a number of exclusions, and I'll list those in the show notes. What was the intervention? Combination of ibuprofen given at 600 milligram plus acetaminophen given either at 500 to 1,000 milligram dose orally every six hours. And what did they compare it to? The comparison was a monotherapy of ibuprofen given at 600 milligram plus placebo orally every six hours. And let's run through the outcomes. What was the primary outcome? The improvement of low back pain on the RMDQ between ED discharged and the seven-day telephone follow-up. And they had half a dozen secondary outcomes, and I'll list those in the show notes. The author's conclusions were, quote, among ED patients with acute, non-traumatic, non-radicular, low back pain, adding acetaminophen to ibuprofen does not improve outcomes within one week. All right, Sergey, let's run through the 11 quality checklists for randomized clinical trials. You ready to go? I am. All right, did they recruit emergency department patients? Yes. And did they adequately randomize those patients? 
Yes. Did they conceal the randomization? Yes, they did. Did they do an intention-to-treat analysis? Yes, they did. Were the patients recruited consecutively? Yes. Were patients in both groups similar with regards to prognostic factors? Yes. Was everyone in the study blinded? Yes. Were all groups treated equally except for the intervention? Yes, they were. Was their follow-up complete? Yes. Did they consider all patient important outcomes? Yes. And the 11th and final question, the treatment effect, was it large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? I would have to say no. All right, let's go through the results. They screened just over 600 patients for eligibility and were able to randomize 120 participants. The mean age was 41 years, 52% were male, the mean duration of symptoms was 48 hours, and 80% were working at least 30 hours a week. Sergey, what was the key result? No statistical difference between ibuprofen plus acetaminophen and ibuprofen alone in back pain improvement at one week. All right, for the primary outcome, which was the mean improvement of the RMDQ at one week, what were the two outcomes between the combination group and the mono group? The combination group improved by 11.1 points versus monotherapy group that improved by 11.9 points. Ooh, and I can do that math in my head. That means that the between group difference was 0.8, with a 95% confidence interval that spanned one, so not statistically different. But let's go through those half dozen secondary outcomes now. One of the secondary outcomes was participants' worse low back pain during the previous 24 hours using a four-item ordinal scale. There were no statistical difference between two groups. How about the frequency of low back pain during the previous 24 hours using a five-item scale? It was more frequently in combination group. What about the frequency of any analgesic or low back pain medication used during the previous 24 hours? No statistical difference was found between two groups. All right. What about the satisfaction with treatment as measured by responding to the question, quote, the next time you have back pain, do you want to take the same medication you've been taking this past week? There were no statistical difference between two groups. How many days post-ED discharge the participants was able to return to usual activity? There were no statistical difference between two groups. I've got to say, Sergey, you're starting to sound like a broken record. I sure do. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Maybe I should explain that for some of the younger audience. We used to listen to music on these large 12-inch pressed vinyl records. And so that's where the term broken record. It would be like your MP3 player is skipping now. <laughs> All right, last question. Frequency of visit to any healthcare provider? There were no statistical difference between two groups. Well, you're not mixing it up at all. Okay, let's get to the talk nerdy section, though, because that's my favorite section. I love talking nerdy. Don't you love talking nerdy? That's my favorite section as well. All right, so why don't you go with the first point? Point number one, ibuprofen dosing in this study. 
authors used 600 milligram of ibuprofen in this trial rather than 400 milligram. Some of you may not know, or some of you do know, that unlike opioid analgesics, NSAIDs as a class and their dosing is limited by their analgesic ceiling concept, meaning there is a dose analgesic response. Above certain doses, NSAIDs produce more side effects or harms without providing additional analgesia. Our team has published evidence supporting this on both ibuprofen and ketorolog, and we were so honored and privileged to be discussing one hour paper here on the very SGEM. The second point was about external validity. This study was conducted in two urban EDs serving a socioeconomically depressed population. Socioeconomic factors have been shown to be associated with an increased risk of pain. It is unclear if the data could be applied to other populations. Point number three, exclusion criteria. Patients were excluded if they had low back pain greater than two weeks. However, the mean duration of low back pain varied from 12 to 96 hours prior to enrollment in the very study. We couldn't find the information regarding whether or not patients were taking any medications prior to enrollment. Authors also listed a number of other exclusion criteria, including patients who were, quote, intolerant of the investigational medications. But they didn't explicitly state if patients were excluded if they had renal and or hepatic insufficiency, or they were taking co-medications such as Coumadin, aspirin, or novel oral anticoagulant, etc. Well, the fourth point is about concordance. Now, the loss to follow-up, which is one of the quality indicators we look for, was less than that 20% amount. However, when you looked at the patients, more than one-third of both groups did not take their study medication as instructed 24 hours prior to one-week phone call. Similarly, about one-fifth of patients did not take their study medication as instructed 24 hours prior to the 48-hour phone call assessment. And point number five, other medications. It wasn't stated clearly in a manuscript that patients were told or advised not to take any other medications other than the study medications. While this would be pragmatic, it could have masked any difference between the ibuprofen plus acetaminophen group in comparison to ibuprofen group alone. All right, those were the five nerdy points. Let's comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusion. The SGEM conclusion. We agree with author's conclusion. All right, Sergey, can you give me an SGEM bottom line? I would love to. We cannot recommend the addition of acetaminophen to ibuprofen for adult patients presenting to the ED with acute, non-traumatic, non-radicular low back pain. And how about a case resolution? You advise to vary your patient that you should take 400 milligram as a first-line agent, and subsequently you will try to set reasonable expectations. And now let's talk about how you would apply this new publication and apply it clinically. Well, unfortunately, there still appears to be no great treatment options for patients presenting to the ED with acute low back pain. Evidence for individual pharmaceutical therapies are limited, and this trial provides evidence that a combination therapy of acetaminophen and ibuprofen is not better than ibuprofen alone. 
this agrees with the previous SGM episodes, looking at the efficacy of combination of diazepam and acetaminophen. We also do not have high quality evidence that non-pharmacological treatments works well. Well, one final thing that I think it's important to discuss is to set expectations with the patient. They need to know that their pain might not be completely relieved in the emergency department. It is about limiting suffering, not eliminating pain. Most patients will have persistent symptoms a week after presentation, and many will have continued pain and functional impairment months after symptom onset. We need to be supportive and realistic when discussing the natural history of acute low back pain with patients. All right, Sergey, what are you going to tell the patient? You have a muscle strain in your back. This is a very common problem and can be very painful. Ibuprofen can help lower your pain, but it is unlikely get rid of your pain completely. Adding medications like acetaminophen or even adiazepam has not shown to be more effective. People have tried many other medications and non-medications to get rid of this pain. One thing we know is that opioids are not usually recommended. Unfortunately, you may have pain over the next few weeks or even months. Try to stay active, and if your pain is getting worse, or you cannot function, or are you otherwise worried, please return to our ED for the assessment. All right, it's time to announce the Keener Contest winner. Last week's winner was Drew McMillan. He knew that the definition of TIA was changed over 10 years ago. It was 2009. And this is important when you're looking at the stroke literature to be able to figure out what was considered a TIA now compared to what was considered a TIA before 2009. Sergey, you've got a question this week? Yes, I do. What does tuna fish have to do with back pain? Oh, that sounds like a real fishy question. Well, that's a shout out to our good friend, Salim Razai. If you know what tuna fish has to do with back pain, then send an email to the sgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool skeptical prize. Well, thank you, Sergey, for coming back on the sgem and talking about one of your favorite subjects, I think, pain. Thank you so much for having me back. I had an amazing time. Well, I hope you're staying healthy there in New York City. And until we talk next time, can you give the SGEM tagline? With pleasure. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next week. <laughs>